All right, my friend, this is Joe Bakmotsky. Welcome to the Power to Be Happy podcast. Here we talk about healing from trauma. And I'm super excited today to be talking to Dr. Moshe Pearl, who's based here in Melbourne. And he's a world-class expert in neurofeedback. Uh, and today we're going to talk to Moshe about what neurofeedback is and how it might help us in healing from trauma. Moshe, welcome, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, Moshe, first of all, I, I would just want to talk about what trauma means. There's so many ways to define it, so many ways to think about it. Like, given all of your experience, like, how would you define it today? Well, it depends what sort of trauma you're talking about, um, because there's physical trauma that people have. If you're, let's say, if they're in a car accident or they fall and uh, injure themselves, so there's physical trauma, and that trauma can be in the body. Um, they can also have trauma that affects their head, like they get hit um, in a car accident or playing sport, get hit in the head. So you can have trauma that's physical trauma, trauma to the body, trauma to the brain. And then you can also talk about emotional trauma. Um, and emotional trauma, again, there's lots of different ways that emotional trauma can happen. Uh, probably the two biggest areas would be uh, what we would call developmental trauma. So abuse and neglect when children are young. And then there's uh, emotional trauma that can occur to anyone at any time during their lives, uh, whether that's uh, bullying, whether that's um, physical assault, or even witnessing um, the physical or sexual assault. All of that would come under the, the umbrella of emotional trauma uh, as well. So there's a question about what for you, you know, today is the area that you want to focus on. Truth of the matter is that neurofeedback can actually help with all of it, with all of those different areas. When there's um, pain in the body, the brain, the brain is involved in that and neurofeedback can help. Uh, when there's injury to the brain, neurofeedback can also help. And when there's emotional trauma, uh, whether it's um, developmental trauma or whether it's trauma later on in a person's life, neurofeedback can also help with that. Yeah, thank you for those distinctions, uh, Moshe. So today, yeah, today we really want to focus on, I guess, emotional trauma. And uh, I really like how you said that, you know, it kind of can affect us in really different ways, uh, especially when we're talking about developmental trauma versus, you know, traumatic events that happen in our life when we are adults. Does this affect, how does it affect us, those two things? How do they affect us differently? Do they affect our brain in a different way? How does it work? Yeah, there, certainly there's uh, the impact of early childhood uh, trauma and neglect um, slows the development of the executive function centers in the brain. Now, executive function has got to do with attention and focus and impulse control and emotional regulation. So there's evidence that those parts of the brain that are regulating all of that do not develop as well when there is early childhood trauma. So that's one thing that is pretty clear. Um, and physically, you can actually see it uh, when they look at the brains of people who've had that sort of traumatic experience. Um, I would also say that 
there are areas in the brain that pick up how relevant what is going on around us is and what we should do about it. And that's particularly true for danger. So there are parts of the brain that are actually responding very, very strongly to danger. And if there's been trauma, those areas automatically scan more for danger. And so they also keep a person much more ready to respond to danger. So that person becomes very sensitized to anything that might become dangerous. And as a result, um, they get triggered by all sorts of things. And we can see that the brain, those areas of the brain are too activated. Yes, and, and that's that can have a huge impact where it almost feels like it's it's outside of your control what is happening. And so like where does neurofeedback come in and how does it how can it help us when we have this you know deep line uh, emotional impacts and impacts on the brain effectively? Well the I think the major thing that we can do with neurofeedback for people that have suffered from trauma is help them calm down because they are living on the edge most of the time. They're highly reactive. They can be very anxious. They can overreact to things going on in their environment. And because of that, they often cut themselves off from all sorts of activities because those activities can trigger them. And what neurofeedback does is it just sort of calms them down so that they don't get triggered as much. Um, another issue for people who, that have suffered trauma is that their sleep is almost always very disturbed. Um, often they won't go to sleep until they just collapse out of exhaustion. Sometimes they'll go to sleep and then they'll have nightmares or flashbacks during the night and so they just don't they don't sleep properly so neurofeedback can actually help them start sleeping better and then i think the third area which is very important um is that neurofeedback you know sitting in front of a machine looking at things on a machine that's not going to cure your trauma um but it allows them to calm enough to be able to actually talk with somebody about the traumatic events in a way that's going to help them recover. So it actually allows um, better therapy then to occur, whatever therapy that a person uh, decides they're going to they're going to do. Um, I also believe that in developmental trauma, many of the what would I call it, the, the sense that a person can connect to another person in a healthy, happy, loving way, those things haven't been developed properly. So neurofeedback also can help set up the person to be able to actually connect in a more happy way to other people. This is vital, Moshe, because it's it really sounds like it's building that um, connection to the wider world. If you're able to connect to other people, if it opens you up to possibilities of therapy, if it helps you calm down, if it helps you sleep better, that's kind of a core functioning that helps us to 
not not only kind of keep going, but helps us to also lead kind of happier, more fulfilled lives. So tell me more like about like about like what was your involvement with neurofeedback? Like how did you find out about it? Um, how did you start to feel like it's it's something that's an important tool? And how did you know it was safe? Like how did you get into this field of work? Sure. Um, well, in my earlier days, I used to do a lot of work in schools. So I worked with a lot of uh, kids who had attention and focus issues. And um, I was fortunate enough to be able to sit in classrooms and observe these kids and then write a report. And back then, um, we would just send them off to a pediatrician to get medication. And um, the medication works uh, for a lot of kids with attention problems. So I've got no issue with medication. Um, and the medications for ADHD are generally pretty safe. You know, sometimes there's side effects, but most of the time they do okay. So from there, I started working with uh, kids with ADHD. And uh, probably because I'm a bit that way myself, um, I understand it from the inside. And so um, back in the late 90s, I had a friend who said to me, you know, you can work with these kids without medication. And I'd never seen anything you know, no therapy, therapies don't really help a lot with kids who have issues with attention and focus. They just don't focus. They try, but they don't succeed. So uh, there was this guy in Sydney that was doing this neurofeedback. So I went to see him and it was very, very impressive because these kids are just sitting there and they're looking at a TV screen and they have these sensors attached that are measuring their brainwave patterns and the screen actually changes depending on their patterns. So there's actually feedback about what's going on in their brain. And so the movie won't continue properly if their brainwave pattern doesn't move in the direction we want it to move in, right? And um, the direction we want their brain to move in is that more conscious control over what's going on. And so the brainwave pattern that's associated with good focus and good emotional control um, is the one we want a bit more of. And the brainwave patterns that are associated with anxiety, with inattention, with impulse control, we, we train the brain to not produce as much of those. Mm. And the brain gets it very, very quickly. And then it just starts changing. So the kids just start calming down. They stop being impulsive. They can contain themselves better. Then they can start focusing better. So that's how I started. And I found almost from the beginning that kids were actually improving very, very significantly. And when you look at the literature that's been published on neurofeedback in terms of safety, um, I mean, we did a review a couple of years ago of everything we could find on neurofeedback. And we saw 300, over 300 studies and none of them had negative effects. And, you know, if the studies had been producing negative effects, of course they would have mentioned them. They would have said, you know, this number of this percentage had this, it was nothing. And that's also my experience is that it's very safe. And um, it is possible to produce negative effects, but, you know, you have to be careful like anything. But I've, I don't know how many thousands of 
people I've actually ended up seeing with neurofeedback, one or two had negative effects. So it's a very, very small number. And that's, you know, that's my experience. And once you start working, like I started working a lot with kids with attention and focus problems, well, then you also get kids who have anxiety. You also have kids who are oppositional, who are very uncooperative, uh, even aggressive. And then you also get uh, kids and adults who are on the autistic spectrum. So, you know, all of a sudden, you just start getting more and more different uh, kinds of things happening. And uh, by the by, I got, uh, because you can't avoid it, I got a lot of people who'd suffered trauma. Um, you know, ADHD kids can also have tra traumatic experiences. I mean, it's not, they're not two separate groups. And and so I started also, I have worked a lot with, with people that have suffered trauma. And so that, that's fantastic, uh, Moshe. So, and when you, like, obviously people have all sorts of different, presents with all sorts of different situations, with all sorts of different challenges, and, and they need help in different areas. But when we speak about trauma, obviously that's true as well. So how do you then assess what the person's needs are? Like, is there, is there like, a, like a brain scan? Like, how, how do you go about this process? Well, to me, the way I was taught and the way I have always been doing neurofeedback is you've got to look at what are the issues that they're coming in with. You know, what is troubling them the most? And then you, you have to have a theory about what's actually happening in their brain. Um, so as a psychologist, I have to have a theory about the emotional things that have gone on in their lives and how it's affecting them. I mean, that's what psychologists do. So there is that. But then I have to do an extra step, which says, okay, which part of the brain is responsible, you know, for regulating emotion? Which part of the brain is responsible for making sure they're actually perceiving what's going on around them accurately? You know, and that's not something that a, a psychologist who doesn't do neurofeedback because they're not looking at the brain itself. But because we're doing neurofeedback, you know, I have to think about, okay, if they've got issues with attention and focus, where might I train their brain? If they've got issues with um, emotional perception, if they've got issues with um, reading and writing, where might I train their brain? And so I'm doing this extra bit that's trying to see, okay, which part of the brain might be involved? And we have now 30 to 40 years of clinical experience working with a whole variety of issues as to where to train and how to train. And that has stood the test of time. You know, it's not just me deciding I'm going to train a particular way. I've got people I talk to and people I studied with who basically have led the way to say, okay, you've got these sorts of issues. This, these are the ways we have found you can work with it. So understanding the symptoms and what we have done is, is the first piece. And the second piece is to actually see what is going on with the brainwave patterns, you know, because there are brainwave patterns that are good for sleep, but not so good if you need to be awake and focused. There are brainwave patterns that are good if you are in great danger at a particular moment. It's very good to produce certain brainwaves, but if there's no great danger, you don't need to have those brainwave patterns, right? So there's a whole piece where you can look at that and also where in the brain those brainwave patterns might be a bit different than what you'd expect. 
so you you look at the patterns you look at the symptoms and you say okay do they match in other words i know that if a person has too much of something in the front of their brain they may not focus properly well does this person not focus properly and if i get yes if both are happening i say well let's train this and that's the way i proceed i look at their symptoms first then i look at what their brainwave patterns are and i see what is correlating what is connecting and if i see there's a relationship between what their brainwave patterns are like and what their symptoms are i'm going to train to change those brainwave patterns and my chance of success is very high yeah that's fantastic moshe and so when how do you then train the brain to i guess change those patterns up okay look the principle of biofeedback generally is very simple if you can perceive any body function you can change it so if you want to stand up straight right you have to make sure that you can orient yourself properly and that you see where you are in space and that gives the muscles in your legs a, a way to hold you up straight and little babies take ages to figure that out right they're actually developing the neural pathways to be able to do that right and then if we drink a bit too much it takes <laughs> a bit too long for that information to reach our legs and we have trouble standing up straight but the idea of standing up straight for instance that's biofeedback you're seeing you're seeing where you are and so you're doing something to adjust it but we're not thinking it through we're not going oh i need to do this i need to do this i need to do this that's not how we do it it's an it's an automatic thing the the body starts connecting to the brain and you start doing it well all we do with the brainwave biofeedback is we just present you with your brainwave pattern because we don't normally know what our brainwave pattern is and we present it in a way that says we want you to produce more of what's fast uh, sorry what's yeah what's a bit faster and a bit less of what's very slow and a bit less of what's very fast and the machinery right the program in the computer does that and so this person's looking at some sort of display might be a movie that was my favorite way of training people you have a movie and the movie goes dark if you're not if you're not uh, producing the sort of brainwave patterning that we want so that's the feedback and um what's really interesting is that we've done this you know we do this with 3-year-olds and you can't explain anything to a 3-year-old right yeah. so you attach a sensor you measure what's going on and all they want to do is watch the movie and <laughs> you know and if it if it starts going dark on them they don't want it to go dark but they don't know how and why and what they're doing and there's no point in explaining and they train perfectly well wow and it's only us adults that need lots of explanations as to why something works <laughs> you know it's like as if that's going to and and i mean it's sort of funny um you know when you think about it it's just you know the kid just wants to watch the movie and that's enough feedback to get the brain to shift what it's actually doing 
And um, in the process of doing that, you know, there, there are sort of ideas about, okay, so what is happening here? Well, the idea here is that by changing the way your brain is actually working, you're actually creating more flexibility so that when it's time to be active, you can be active, but when it's time to be calm, you can be calm. So that kids who are very impulsive, for instance, or people who are very anxious, they just can't slow it down. And so they can't calm down and they can't fall asleep. Well, when you do, when you help them with neurofeedback, what happens is, well, when it's time to be active, they can be active. And when it's time to calm, they can actually calm and fall asleep. So you get flexibility. And, and that's one of the big, that's one of the big goals is actually that we can enhance the way the person um, responds to what's going on around them. And, you know, this particular training, neurofeedback is also used for peak performance. And so you have somebody who's already very good at something where you can get them just a little bit better, just to give them a bit of an edge. And that's how I frame neurofeedback a lot of the time for people. I just say, look, whatever you're doing, this is just going to help you do it better. And that's that's true. But I don't like having to say to people, well, you've got this big problem, we're going to solve your problem. I don't like talking in those terms at all. It's a bit insulting to say to somebody, you've got a problem and I'm going to help fix you. Um, I, I just don't like, I don't like that that sound. And I just think, hey, you're doing something, we can help you do it better. So that's the way I frame it, but that's actually what the neurofeedback is doing. It's really powerful, Moshe. So, and, you know, uh, I'm guessing there's different types of neurofeedback approaches and, and, and maybe different technologies as well. Um, how does it all work? <laughs> well, the, the main way of doing neurofeedback is actually the way that I, that I work. Um, that's where most of the research, probably three quarters of the research publications are on the way that I do neurofeedback, which is the way most of the field does it. So there's lots of support, um, scientific support for it, which is, which is very important. Um, there are other, other methods that use slightly different ways of working and they have varying amounts of, um, of scientific support. Um, to get into the ins and outs of exactly what they are, I think would just, it's too, I think it's too technical to, to talk about here. If you really want to, I will, but (laughs) there's, there's, yeah, there, there's probably, there's probably four, four different ways that people do neurofeedback. And I would say that, um, they're all reasonably successful, but they have varying amounts of scientific support. And of course, it also depends on the practitioner that you go see. I mean, you know, to figure out how exactly to train and what to do. Um, There's also this idea, and it's true in medicine, is that you have what, what we might call conveyor belt therapy, which is, you know, you assess, they fit here, you give them this, and it's finished. In other words, you don't individualize. And um, the way medicine is generally practiced, that's that's just the way it works. And when you do that, you probably get 
75, 80% of people, and then 20%, they're going to have to do something else. And then for those 20%, the physicians have to individualize because the normal ways don't work very well. And I think with neurofeedback, um, most people are going to respond very well to neurofeedback. I'd say 70 to 80%. And then for that last 20%, you probably need to individualize. So which of those four is going to be better for somebody? I don't think we really have figured that out yet, but all of them can have, can have benefit. So there's also a whole other class of work with uh, working with people's brains where you actually stimulate the brain. Um, with biofeedback, you're just measuring, and on the basis of what you measure, you're changing or you're getting them to train. So you're not pushing the brain anywhere, but when you stimulate a brain, you actually push it in a particular direction. It's sort of like taking a medication. And when you take a medication, you push the brain in a particular direction. And then when the medication wears off, they just go back to where they were before. Pretty much with stimulation, you get that as well. Um, but there are, there are cases where stimulation can be really helpful, but when you're pushing the brain, you can produce negative effects. So you have to be a bit more careful when you do stimulation. Um, and those, you know, those things are out there. I mean, the most common one that we know about is um, transcranial magnetic stimulation, where they put these huge electromagnets uh, for people who are very depressed. And um, they basically really do a series of, I don't know, very strong um, push on the uh, emotional areas of the brain that have to do with depression. And there seems to be a fairly, fairly positive result from it. Um, something like two thirds of the people seem to be able to improve as a result of that. So, um, you know, that's an example of a stimulation technique that's in in practice right now and uh, seems to work pretty well. The different principle from neurofeedback. Yeah, sounds like there's, there's all different approaches that all can be helpful when it comes to dealing with after effects of traumatic events. And you talk about changing patterns, of course, um, in in how, you know, the the brain works on every, in everyday life. But the changes that that, that um, you experience as, as a result of going through neurofeedback, how long do they last? Yeah, look, um, I did a follow-up study of um, 18 kids who'd all had issues with uh, attention and focus. And I... They were all successful. I mean, that 18 was successful. So I followed them up and I just did the assessment on them basically 14 months after they had finished training. So I didn't see them for 14 months. They came in, they did an assessment again. Um, out of the 18, 15 had improved from where they were when they finished, right? Two were the same and one had gone a bit backwards. The one that had gone backwards his mother had had developed terrible um, medical issues. Um, she basically soon after she passed away. So I figured, okay, maybe that's the reason that he didn't do so well when I followed up is because his mum had a terrible illness. But anyway, the literature has shown very consistently now that 
After people finish training, they continue to improve for several months. And those results then hold for at least two years. Now, if they hold for two years, they're just going to hold. And my experience is, personally, with people that I've worked with, is that once they've trained, they've trained. And when I've actually had conversations with people years after they did the training, their ability to stay focused has remained at a higher level. It hasn't dropped back. So that's a very, very uh, positive finding. And it's a finding that um, is being seen. Um, there are a couple of studies. Uh, well, there was one study that looked at about 10 studies that had been done. This was published in 2019. And they looked at 10 studies, and I, I think that six or seven of them actually had follow-up. And they, they all showed exactly what I just said, that people improved from the end of the training to the follow-up, which was four to six months later. So... Yeah, the results last and they and they hold. Yeah, and I'm also blown away, Moshe, that um, they actually can improve. Like I didn't like that's very rare that you know whenever I ever go into a medical field, you get some sort of a change or support that, but that you continue to improve on your own. Um, like that's that's a fundamental shift, isn't it? Yeah. Look, I mean. Now, I'm a psychologist. Now, when a psychologist has a theory about how the brain works, you always have to go, mm, okay, we probably want to speak to a neurologist about this, right? Um, but again, you know, this idea, why would the brain continue to improve, right? And my sense is that um, there is a theory which is not just a psychological theory. It's called complex adaptive systems theory. It's a way of saying living systems move to better adaptation every chance they get. And it's not just humans, it's living systems. And so the brain has figured out a, a better way of doing something. And so what happens is I think it just keeps on self-reinforcing that and then it continues to improve, right? It just keeps practicing it and you don't have to actually physically keep practicing it the way you go to a gym and keep having to work out at the gym, otherwise your muscles go back to where they were before. This is different. The brain is just doing it itself. Um, again, that's my theory. But whether we find that there is actually a neurological basis for that, but still it's a very interesting result and a result that's been replicated many times now. So it's not like it's just me saying it. This has been published in the literature too. and like I said, this guy analyzed, or these folks analyzed 10 different studies, and they saw this was happening, I think, I think in six, seven, maybe in all of them where they did follow up, there were, there were improvements. Yeah, it also makes me think about Moshe, like if I'm, if I'm encouraging, you know, my uh, younger son to do whatever, playing soccer, whatever else it might be, uh, then that encouragement encourages him to go further and do better. So I guess neurofeedback sounds like it's a little bit like that, where it's effectively encouraging the brain to do better, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, um, you know, it is peak performance. There are, uh, there are folks out there working with athletes and performers who use neurofeedback. And, and um, yeah, 
it's just one piece of a big program, you know, because when you're doing peak performance, there's a lot of different things you can do, but neurofeedback is part of it. Exactly. And I believe that that's also the case of healing from trauma. You can, you, you mentioned earlier that there is, you know, ability to help potentially people to open up to different therapies, uh, to different approaches. And by the way, what do, what do you feel um, are some of the approaches that work really well for trauma, especially when combined with neurofeedback? Yeah, the look, the way that, that a lot of practitioners who are using neurofeedback are working with trauma, um, you know, there is there are the different therapies that people use to work with trauma, the, the talking therapies, and there are a variety of them, and they all seem to be helpful, and neurofeedback helps them to uh, work more quickly and help resolve issues more. So um, EMDR is another way that people have worked. I don't do EMDR, but I've heard good things about it, that uh, EMDR um, in conjunction with neurofeedback can also be helpful. So there's... You know, um, there's a guy in in, um, in Boston, his name's Bessel van der Kolk, who's been researching and he also has a clinic. And uh, one of his things about trauma is he says people need some sort of body-focused um, activity so that they can actually be in their body again in a way that's happy for them. So he's always talking about people doing yoga, or movement, or dance, or something where they can actually get back into their body and feel comfortable in it. Because one of the things that does happen to people that have been traumatized is they just don't sense their body anymore. They've just left it. And in the stories that people talk about having been traumatized, you often hear that they're outside their body watching the trauma happening to them. Um, and so this idea of sort of re-inhabiting your own body very important so there are ways of doing that so some of the therapies actually talk about that some of the therapies do other things i mean i have my own way of working but that's only one of the ways that people uh, can can be helpful absolutely so if somebody wanted to access neurofeedback treatment either with you and here in victoria what would they do well i mean my website is neurotherapy dot com dot au i mean you can go there you can see some stuff you can read some stuff and if you contact me i can direct you to where where to go i no longer have a clinic um i do teaching now and and mentoring um but i can direct people to practitioners that can be helpful for them fantastic well thank you so much moshe and thank you so much for what you do in the world with helping people with neurofeedback Thank you for coming. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for being here, my friend. I want to deeply honor your life, your story, and where you are today. And it's my hope that this show, it, it serves you in some way, because I believe that we are all just capable of so much more than we think sometimes. And, and, and this incredible potential of what we're capable of and leading a life that you're proud of, that you're excited by, what I tell myself, so they're my loved ones. That's what I'm here, just sharing this, this with you, right? And I have this vision 
have this vision for bringing together survivors. Survivors of trauma, of difficult experience, of difficult circumstance, whether that's going through sexual abuse, domestic violence, living with illness, going through war, bringing together people who've been through it or are living through difficult times, their loved ones, so we can come together to give, give our best in our lives, in, in, with our loved ones, in our communities, in our work, to grow, to grow towards our dreams, towards our hopes, towards our desires, and to heal, to heal from difficulties and struggle, and making sense of what's right for you today. That's why I'm here. That's why I wrote my book, Finding Hope in Times of Uncertainty, a guide to thriving in the challenging world of today. And if this vision, just if it speaks to you in some way, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear from you if you could email me at joe at powertobehappy.com. That's J-O-E at powertobehappy.com. Whatever you want to say, I'd, I'd love to hear from you. Please let me know what you think. And thank you again so much for being here today. I'll speak to you next time.